Welcome back to another episode of Discussions on Management and Governance. Uh, again, this is the PMRA-sponsored series, Discussions on Management and Governance. I'm one of your hosts, Justin Bullock, and with me is Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hey, how's it going? Great. Uh, thanks for being with us and being with me. Um, today, uh, this is our fourth episode. We will be hosting Professor Karina Schott, uh, and we'll be discussing her co-authored paper, which is co-authored with Professor Adrian Ritz um, and has just been published in the first issue of Perspectives on Public Management and Governance and is titled The Dark Sides of Public Service Motivation, a Multi-Level Theoretical Framework. So we're going to get into some of the details of that paper here shortly when Karina joins us. Um, also wanted to let you know, it uh, looks like we're going to have another live episode on March 30th with Tina Nabachi. Um, and we'll be talking with Professor Nabachi around 3 p.m. We'll be pushing out some stuff on social media between now and then, uh, including creating an event. But you can plan for that Friday, March 30th at 3 p.m. We will be discussing Tina's paper, Public Values Frames in Administration and Governance. We'll keep you updated as we schedule additional converse conversations for the series. And just as a reminder from the beginning of the episode, if you'd like to ask questions, just comment on the Facebook post and we'll do our best to get to your questions. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, we're really excited for this interview. Joining us today is gonna be Karina Schott um, and she is a professor at Utrecht University um, in the school, uh, University School of Governments. Um, and she conducts research in the field of public management at the individual level um, and specifically focuses on motivation and decision-making processes of public servants and the implications of a changing work environment on um, how individuals do their work. So it's great to be able to speak to you, Karina. Um, Justin and I are uh, gonna take turns asking questions. Um, so, uh, and then hopefully we'll uh, have a couple questions from the audience that we might be able to bring in. So um, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me, and also, yeah, thank you very much for yeah your interest in in our work. So yeah. very good. thank you very much. Yeah, of course. Um, so to start off, um, your paper talks about the dark side of public service motivation, um, which it was a really interesting piece to look at for me. Um, so this isn't typically how the the literature and how other scholars have talked about public service motivation. Um, so maybe to get us started off, you can tell us just a little bit about um, what public service motivation is um, and why you think looking at the dark side of it is important. Mm, yeah, first to start with uh, the first part of the questions. I mean, uh, when you look at the at the literature, there are plenty, there are many, many different definitions of public service motivation. I think uh, in the piece from, from Bozeman and Sue, there are like 20 different descriptions of public service motivation. Uh, but where I think you, when you, you combine these definitions a little bit or these descriptions, then I think what unifies all these definitions is that public service motivation is yeah, the willingness or the desire to, to, yeah, to provide meaningful public service and to contribute to, to uh, yeah, society at large and the public interest. And that's also how I um, yeah, perceive or I see public service motivation. So it really is a, a is your yeah the willingness to do something something big something at a societal level, and uh, yeah that also yeah makes public service motivation different from many other types of motivation we know. Uh, 
like of course extrinsic motivation, intrinsic motivation, but also pro-social pro motivation, which is more directed uh, at, at an individual level, individual level. So that people are willing or yeah have a desire to to help uh, co-workers, to help uh, people they know, people yeah they are in direct contact with. And I think yeah, public service motivation is something very different in the sense that really aims at this higher order games of uh, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not just trying to or a, a desire to help another individual, but an, a desire to help further uh, the society as a whole, or to to create good government for society. That's what public service motivation describes. Exactly, creating good governance, um, contributing to to different values to different public values and contributing to the to the public interest and the common good. So it's more abstract, I would say, than uh, yeah, pro-social motivation, which is more directed uh, at uh, yeah, individual uh, beneficiaries. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, um, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I, I work with a lot of um, master's students who are interested in going and working for the government or for nonprofit organizations. And I feel like I see a lot of that uh, public service motivation in them. Um, and I think a lot of us view it as a very positive thing. Um, so why why would you write a paper or, or what made you um, start thinking about this this dark side of, of public admin or public service motivation? Why why do we need to have a paper on that? Um, yeah, first of all, first of all, I think I, I, I want to highlight that I also think that public service motivation can be a very positive thing. I mean, there are plenty of study, studies showing that public service motivation is related to commitment, to job satisfaction, to, to uh, individual performance, to job performance. But um, I think it was time to also look at the darker sides. And I mean, I think it was triggered by um, a particular sentence in the orig original article from, from, uh, from uh, Barry and Wise. And they said almost 30 years ago that uh, very high levels of public service motivation can also produce negative outcomes. And um, I was yeah, reading this article over again and then I was thinking, okay, that's a very interesting statement and they do not um, specify what kind of outcomes they're talking about, uh, what they mean by negative outcomes and they uh, neither do yeah, explain why public service motivation uh, might produce uh, negative outcomes. So they don't say anything about the, the, the underlying mechanisms, you could say. And I thought, okay, that's, that's interesting. That's something I would like to figure out. So on the one hand side, uh, yeah, what are these um, outcomes and what are the mechanisms expl explaining that public service motivation relates to, to negative outcomes? So um, I think that was the first step. And uh, another thing was, um, I mean, more recently, when you yeah, when you when you look at the the recent publications, then you see, um, yeah, it's really a handful, but you see some empirical stuff on the relationship between PSM and dark sides, and uh, they are all about PSM and uh, attitudinal dark sides of individuals, and all of them rely on use the personal environment misfit argument as an explanation why PSM results in negative attitudinal outcomes. And um, I think this is a rather big step, I think, from um, a personal environment misfit to negative attitudinal outcomes, there's more going on. So uh, 
there are mechanisms that needs to be explained and uh, yeah that's why I thought it's important to to yeah dig into these mechanisms and think more theoretically about the question why PSM also might have negative outcomes yeah, yeah, that's great. And and just to make sure all of our, our, our listeners know, PSM stands for Public Service Motivation. Yes. So we'll probably t say PSM for most of the rest of this, this yeah. show, but that's what we're talking about, Public Service Motivation or PSM. So, Justin, I think you've got uh, uh, the next question. I do. Um, I, I wanted to touch on one uh, comment that you made, Karina, before moving on to that, which is that you, you stated you wanted to be um, clear that public service motivation can have good outcomes as well. That's not what the paper was saying, that it's at particularly high levels that we might start um, having some type of issue. Is that the broad um, argument making going forward? Is that it's these particularly high levels of PSM that might trigger, uh, uh, particularly high levels of public service motivation that might trigger some of these negative or bad uh, bad outcomes? Yeah, I think it's a combination from uh, particularly high levels of public service motivation and then with uh, certain circumstances, like uh, if you uh, cannot put your PSM into practice, if you uh, yeah, cannot contribute to society, if you cannot uh, safeguard pr uh, particular public values, then uh, these positive public service motivation might turn into, into something bad. So uh, I think it's a combination from the level indeed, as you say, but also uh, yeah, environmental circumstances that together make that public service motivation can become uh, a negative force. Yeah, and that's just a, it's a nice uh, preview of uh, some of the hypotheses and some of the, prop some of the propositions that you draw later in the paper um, before before getting there, I wanted to say a little bit more about public service motivation as a concept to give a little bit more continued background uh, before talking more about the dark types in case people just aren't overly familiar. And so as part and part of this paper uh, towards the beginning, uh, you and your co-author talk about how public service motivation can't deliver on its promise. Um, yeah. So what do you what do you mean? What's what's this? What promise does public service motivation offer? and um, why, why can't it be delivered? Um, I think that the ultimate, uh, ultimate promise of PSM or public service motivation is that yeah, people who are highly public service motivated contribute uh, to the public interest, ideally. And uh, as I said already, we found that public service motivation is related to commitment and uh, job satisfaction, all those kind of things. So that's something positive. But I think the ultimate uh, goal is that it also relates to, to the public interest. And I think uh, this claim or this argument uh, is a little bit problem problematic because, um, uh, yeah, because I think there is not no such thing as uh, the public interest. That uh, you cannot say that there is one per perception of what the public interest means. And instead of this, I think everybody, every individual, individual, you and me, we uh, perceive the public interest differently. So we, we have different ideals and ideas what public interest means. And uh, yeah, because these different um, uh, yeah, ideals can be uh, yeah, conflicting, or I mean, if, you, if, you, if I try to, to realize my ideal of the public interest, 
this might uh, imply that I have to trade off an ideal of an other person. So there might be conflicts between different perceptions of the public interest. And that's what I think uh, makes that the public, yeah, or the, 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 the ultimate promise of uh, PSM cannot be reached eventually. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a particularly challenging goal when, uh, to your point, there's not even a consensus among philosophers or among scientists or among public policy folks or public administration folks or economists of what is always in the, uh, the, the, in the best for the public and what is the public interest. It's not kind of set in stone for us. So it does make this, uh, uh, make, make this challenging, but also interesting. I mean, it's interesting to think of all of the different ways that people might reasonably agree or disagree about, um, about what constitutes the public interest. Um, but we won't go down that path. I think that's more time than we have. Um, but uh, I did want to highlight a little bit more of some of the empirical cases that you've come across that, that have highlighted a dark side to PSM that kind of highlight the importance for a better developed multi-level uh, understanding of PSM because we have these empirical findings where PSM is related to some neg negative attitudinal variable or some negative outcome. So could you tell us a little bit about what's already out there in the literature? I know it's a small amount, but any particular studies that come to mind that would highlight, and you sort of alluded to this earlier, but that would highlight to how PSM can be related to dark outcomes or negative outcomes? Yeah. Um, yeah, when you look at the literature, and I think there are yeah, maybe 10 studies, maybe less, that have empirically investigated uh, the relationship between PSM and its dark side. And what's interesting about all these studies is that they all focus on attitudinal dark sides of public service motivation. So uh, they have investigated, for example, the relationship between PSM and increased levels of stress, higher risk of burnout, uh, reduced well-being. So they are all at an, uh, at an uh, attitudinal level, you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, and to my knowledge, there are no empirical studies, for example, investigating the relationship between public service motivation and negative behavioral outcomes or even organizational uh, outcomes. So that's all uh, much work we can do uh, in the future, I think. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Yeah, so I guess it, the, to kind of tie that to what you just said, um, you're you're starting to lay out theory for how we might start looking to in part behavior and how public service motivation or PSM might uh, sometimes in certain circumstances lead to negative behaviors, not just negative attitudes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things um, that's uh, I like about your article is that you bring in some of these different literatures um, from psychology, sociology, organizational ethics, um, and I teach a class on organ organizations to master's students. Um, and I always am having them read things from outside of public administration. Um, so it's, it's good to see um, some of those other literatures being brought into this topic, public service motivation that's gotten so much attention recently in the public administration 
literature. So can you tell us a little bit about what you were able to learn from looking at some of these other literatures um, that, that might help answer some of these questions about PSM or public service motivation? Yeah. Um, for example, when you when you look at uh, um, literature on uh, organizational ethics, um, then you, you you have many studies on uh, noble cause corruption, and uh, what this basically is is uh, what this literature says that uh, you have, for example, police officers who fight uh, crime in the public interest, and these police officers they use um, illegal. Uh, instruments, some of them, they stretch rules, they bend rules um, in order to, to reach this goal of fighting crime in the public interest. And uh, so they, they behave uh, yeah, unethically, unethically, you could say. And uh, the mechanism that is described in this, uh, in this literature is called uh, moral justification. And that says that uh, yeah, people, uh, they behave unethically but they think that, that it's okay to behave unethically, to, to use illegal means, to break rules, to stretch rules, because um, uh, yeah, it's more of, this type of behavior is morally justified because it serves a higher order goal of uh, fighting crime in the public interest. So, um, and I think these kind of uh, yeah, insights you can yeah, very much use uh, in the context of public service motivation and it also helps you to understand that uh, having very high levels of public service motivation can also trigger uh, yeah, negative yeah, behavioral outcomes and not only uh, negative attitudinal outcomes. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a, a, a television show I've been watching recently, um, which is, a, is about this uh, FBI agent and of course he like in many shows, starts bending the rules a little bit, but it's because he's trying to, to create some good outcome. Yeah, um, exactly. And, and I, I think what's been very interesting about this, that uh, stretching these rules or bending these rules is not so much bad for this person who's highly public service motivation, because you could also argue that uh, stretching the rule makes your life easier, makes your working life easier. But when you look at an organizational level, I think that becomes very problematic. Because uh, yeah, if your employees stretch rules, if they bend rules, if they treat similar cases differently, uh, then then you have a problem. Because uh, yeah, reliable services, uh, equal treatment are of course very very important for any uh, public service organization. Yeah, I because uh, yeah. is that if I jump in, Nathan? Yeah, yeah. One of the uh, the pieces that I thought was one of the theories you pulled from that I found particularly interesting was the one on identity theory. And yes. then the idea was that the more motivated someone was to be you know, seen as a public servant or have that identity and see them, I guess, see themselves as a public servant and as someone who's having high levels of public service motivation that they might end up doing, um, uh, might get, might end up doing unethical things or burnout and stress just by trying to commit to an identity, uh, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the I think the central idea of this uh, identity theory is that yeah, everybody has certain or many different types of identities. Like you have an identity as, as a son or as a father, as an academic, as a citizen, and uh, yeah, you constantly try to to verify these identities. 
And if you have a if you score high on public service motivation, you could argue that you have a high public service identity. And if you're not able to uh, to yeah put this identity in practice, then uh, if you you're not able to uh, yeah to behave consistently with this identity, then you try very hard, very hard. And if you do not succeed uh, in verifying this identity, then yeah you become overengaged. You could become stressed, and in the long term, even uh, yeah you have higher risk of burnout. So uh, it was also real similar, I believe, to the psychological contract theory where the same type of thing wanting to achieve some end state and really having to fight for it and either through red tape or through limit and resources not being able to fulfill that public service motivation exactly um, yeah so I, I just think the inter I mean the the theoretical explanations for why there isn't good person environment fit are pretty interesting coming from these different lenses it's it's yeah. yeah, I think they really fill the gap or they tell us more about the, the, the underlying mechanism why, uh, uh, yeah, people who experience, experience a personal environment misfit, yeah, do experience these negative feelings of burnout or, or stress. And, uh, yeah, I think that's, yeah, why these theories are very useful and uh, it's a good thing to, to uh, yeah, to borrow insights and to uh, to fill some gaps we have uh, in yeah public service motivation theory, but also of course in other uh, areas of public service administration research. Yeah. So um, I think uh, you, you mentioned both of you a couple times uh, person environment fit, um, and I believe that that's also. Uh, sort of a theory or a model that's been brought in in from another literature um, and something you talk about a lot in your article. Um, could you maybe explain to us just briefly what that idea of in-person person environment fit is um, and, yes. and, and how, it, how it's useful here? Um, I think this is um, most of the articles or the empirical articles, articles I cite, um, they rely on this idea of person environment misfit and uh, the basic idea is that uh, if you're highly public service motivated, then uh, yeah, you want to contribute to the public interest, you want to realize public values, and so on. Uh, but if you're in an organization where there are high levels of red tape, for example, or the, the, the employer uh, prioritizes different things, uh, then you experience a misfit because uh, yeah, you cannot do what you really want to do. You cannot uh, uh, yeah, contribute to society because of these environmental uh, circumstances. And because of this misfit, um, you, uh, yeah, you experience feelings of stress and so on. So that okay. is the core of personal environment misfit theory. Yeah, yeah. It, re it reminds me of... Um conversations I've had with people who've either talked about teaching and how yeah. they've been frustrated by um, how there's so much emphasis on standardized exams and because of that they can't necessarily teach their children in the ways that they want to be able to teach them um, or uh, doctors who end up spending so much time on paperwork that they're not able to, to spend as much time actually taking care of the patients, which is sort of what got them interested in um, being a doctor in the, in the first place. Um, th those would be examples of, of, of person exactly. environment misfit. Exactly, and then you have this uh, idea of a reality shock, um, which de really describes this uh, yeah, misfit uh, situation, you could say. And uh, according to this, 
yeah, reality misfit, uh, reality shock hypothesis, um, you can expect that PSM uh, decreases over time. So uh, if you're this teacher and you're constantly confronted with uh, yeah, administrative stuff, uh, if you have to realize that your initial ideas of helping students, of uh, yeah, contributing to their development cannot be realized, that then uh, your level of PSM um, sort of drops uh, over the years. Yeah, yeah. I, I work in Washington, D.C., um, which is probably maybe the capital of idealistic young individuals who think they can change the world um, through through some sort of public service or politics or something like that. So um, I can definitely uh, relate to what you're describing there. Um, all right, well, let's um, jump a little bit into uh, sort of the, the the final part of your article, the real, the real meat of it. And of course, there's a whole lot there. Um, and so if you're listening and you wanna understand the full argument, I, you, you're gonna have to go download it because <laughs> there's too much there to, to be able to explain it all here. Um, but, but tell us about some of these pieces of this multi-level framework um, that you and, and your co-author have built um, for thinking about the, the dark sides of, of public service motivation or PSM? Um, you, you mean when you, you look at the model or? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think uh, yeah, this model, um, yeah, it has uh, two levels. You have this individual level and you have this organizational level. And um, the argument we make is that uh, yeah, PSM cannot only be negative for an individual, uh, cannot only have uh, in the, yeah, individual behavioral uh, uh, and attitudinal outcomes, but they can also affect uh, yeah, negative outcomes as an, uh, at an organizational level. So uh, the, the individual outcomes, you could say, serve as a, as a link or as a pin between PSM and uh, the negative outcomes of PSM as an, at an organizational level. So they work as, an, uh, as yeah, mediators, you could say, linking uh, these two different uh, concepts. So, um, and yeah, I think anybody who is interested in yeah, public or the negative outcomes of public service motivation at an organizational level, uh, yeah, should, should consider these uh, yeah, individual or these yeah, negative outcomes of, of PSM as an individual at, at an individual in, at an individual level to uh, to get a complete picture. Yeah, yeah, and um, I guess one of the things that you, that you do in your article is you lay out a bunch of different hypotheses um, yes. that could be tested by future empirical work, um, which is a, a really great way to try to push this literature forward. I think um, one of I, we've already sort of, I think, alluded to at least um, one or two of them talking about, you know, if there's a lot of red tape in the organization, how that organizational level thing then interacts with the individual who maybe has lots of public service motivation. Um, but one of the uh, one of the other hypotheses that I found really interesting kind of tying together this organizational level um, and maybe the individual level is um, when you talked about homogeneity and how if you have a lot of homogeneous, you know, ideologically similar um, individuals who are all highly service motivated, um, that could lead to, to some potentially negative outcomes. Maybe you can explain um, that hypothesis a little bit. 
Yeah, the idea was that uh, if you have a, if a group where everybody's highly public service motivated, if everybody has the same ideals and follows the same uh, directions, then you might become kind of uh, blindsided. So you're not flexible anymore, you're not responsive anymore uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, citizens in your environment. Uh, so you're kind of overly loyal, loyal to, to your employer. Uh, that was our argument, uh, which has yeah negative, uh, which kind of has negative effects for uh, people who are in need or who think differently because uh, yeah they're not part of your vision of the of the public of the public interest. Yeah. So, sorry, real quick. Um, it, it reminds me of um, some of the, the the work I've come across on uh, groupthink. And of course, one of the recommendations for how to counter that is to try to make sure that you have some diversity within your group um, or that you assign people to play devil's advocate and advocate for different sides to make sure that it's not all, all, all one perspective. Um, do you think those are the same kinds of solutions that we need to, to think about to combat this kind of problem? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think one of the practical recommendations in this paper also says that yeah, if you build teams or if you have groups, uh, be aware of the fact that uh, uh, yeah, having the same minds in one group is not uh, yeah a positive thing per se. But it's also yeah important to have somebody who thinks differently. Uh, who might not be public service motivated in order to uh, to get people on the right track. If you're very idealistic and you try very hard to, to reach certain things, then yeah, it might also be important that somebody yeah, thinks differently and uh, yeah, tells you that this is not the way to go in all situations and at all times. From the uh, pragmatic angle, I hadn't thought about that, Nathan, until you just mentioned it, but it also, another thing it sort of says to managers, I think, is people who you can identify as having high levels of public service motivation, you should know that some of their tendencies could cause them uh, to have experienced high levels of stress or burnout and be, a, you know, take note and be aware of even those that are highly motivated to serve the public and serve that there needs to be probably some checks in to keep them from overcommitting and overworking. I mean, I think that's the nice, one of the nice pragmatic pieces that you add with focusing on some of the negative outcomes is making managers aware that these could be outcomes they need yeah. to be concerned with. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, right now in the literature, you often read that, uh, yeah, PSM should be used as a selection criteria or that it should be stimulated by transformational leadership, for example, or by certain HR practices. But I think this article shows indeed that, uh, yeah, uh, managers or leaders also have different tasks, not only stimulating PSM, but also, um, yeah, monitoring the, whether people who are highly public service motivated, yeah, become over-engaged, become stressed and, uh, yeah, protect them from themselves, you could say. Yeah, yeah. That also reminds me of when you say that literature um, that I've come across in goal setting, where um, it, 
I, I've, I've read this article that argues that um, if, if you set goals, usually the advice for goal setting is to set goals that are ambitious and challenging. Um, but but this this article says that if if you set goals that are too ambitious and too challenging, not just for a short period of time, but to where that becomes the new normal every year, we're trying to you know hit some ridiculous goal that's going to force everyone to work a ton of overtime or something like that. That eventually, if that's a prolonged thing where they're too ambitious, um, it can lead to burnout and cheating. Um, and to where people, you know, lie, do unethical things to try to meet these um, ridiculous goals after after they get burned out. And I think th that sounds very similar to this concern that you just raised about pushing people too hard with their PSM to the point that maybe they get they get burned out eventually. And I mean, uh, uh, on the short term, I think it's, it's those are the things that are good for organizations. But uh, even on the long term, I mean. Uh, having people who work very hard and who are over-engaged, uh, yeah, they only can do those things for a certain period of time. I mean, uh, you can do extra work, you can lo work longer hours, you can take on extra tasks for a certain period of time, which is a good thing for organizations. But, yeah, people who are yeah suffer from a burnout or who are stressed, uh, yeah, they will not be able to, to perform for a very long time. So I think not only for the person, but also for the organization, it's a good thing to, uh, yeah, to, yeah, to make sure that people, uh, yeah, do not engage too much and uh, try to perform uh, uh, too much when the level is set very high, even by, yeah, by, 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 by the organizations or by themselves, uh, as it is the case with public service motivated people. So we, it looks like we have one uh, question that I think uh, we can address. Um, it's from Kyung Chao Kim. Um, and this question, um, I believe, is getting at uh, is some of, are some of the negative outcomes, are they as likely to be found in the private sector as well as in the public sector? And are there, is there any empirical uh, evidence on that, and so I was gonna, I was gonna jump in first, and then maybe Karina, if you have something to yeah. add, that would be helpful. Um, and so, in general, Kung uh, Chao, these uh, this work is done within public organizations, and so we know more about what are the consequences for public employees in public organizations is really where we've mostly looked. Um, the cross-sector comparisons um, usually are looking at attitudinal differences, which is what some of my work has been, as uh, Chung Chuk Kim is a student of mine, and he knows. Um, and so we have uh, we have some work on showing that those that work in the public sector are motivated differently from those in the private sector. Um, but I'm not really aware of looking at the benefits to public service motivation in private organizations as compared to public. Um, but maybe uh, Karina or Nathan would know a little bit more of any examples of that. But I believe for the most part, what we've been talking about is within public organizations and we don't have a lot of good comparison points in private organizations, but I'll turn it to the panel. Yeah, 
just one thing that comes to my mind, I think it's always difficult to, to make this public and private comparison because I think it's more a factor of uh, performing a, a, a certain profession. I mean, if you compare doctors working in a private hospital or in a public hospital, it doesn't matter, or a teacher in a private school or in a public school, it doesn't matter. So I think it's more about uh, the, the job people do and the... Um, um, yeah, the way they're uh, hindered in what they're trying to do or trying to realize, then uh, it really is a question about uh, public and private uh, differences. Yeah, one other one other thing that struck me recently um, is that um, I've been thinking quite a bit about Silicon Valley culture with some of the uh, <laughs> the recent news articles that have been um, published about that sort of thing. Um, and one thing that struck me is that. Um, I think that there is a lot of um, probably public service motivation among people working in Silicon Valley where they their aim is to make money, but it is also to transform society in a way that so that it's better, um, including developing things like cryptocurrency that they believe will help um, society in some fashion. Um, and so I think it would be be really interesting to to study PSM more in the in the private sector. I know some people have done it um, with like like you were saying, Karina, with looking at the same profession. Like you know, do, does a private sector um, physical therapist act differently than when working for a public organization or something like that? Um, but I, I I wonder if we could maybe expand this concept even a little bit more broadly. But that's mm -hmm. that's me talking about this as an outsider to this literature because I, I have not studied PSM myself. So as, one thing I would add to that is there is some I think uh, Karina is right that it's often has to do with the profession and what are the professional norms than it does uh, ownership status. If I'm relaying that opinion correctly. Um, but the one thing I will say is that in some of the international comparison work we've done, we do control as best we can for sector just by controlling for it. And there still does remain some motivational differences um, across the sectors. But I do agree that I think the bigger substantive effect here is across the professions. Um, and we certainly need more re more empirical evidence within private organizations to know, because I, I think we are, we, we do have a shortage of that. And I think in nonprofit organizations, uh, PSM has found to be highest. So that's another sector uh, mm -hmm. where it would be interesting to, to, to figure out uh, or to think about whether similar effects of PSM can be expected or not. Yeah, yeah, and of course, there's so much contracting this day, these days, right? Where I mean, even if you're in a private hospital, it may be that a lot of the bills are being paid for by in the U.S. Medicaid or Medicare or in other countries, um, whatever the government, um, you know, health coverage is, um, and so the the government may be the one paying the bill, even if it's uh, a private entity that's that's delivering yeah. the service. Yeah. Any other things, Karina, that you uh, that we haven't got a chance to talk about with the paper um, that you think would be useful for uh, viewers to know about the paper or um, any questions? Um, it's usually us asking the questions, but any questions you might have for us as we have a few more minutes here? Um, anything that uh, anything you'd like to kind of add to the picture? 
I think we we talked about uh, yeah the most uh, important uh, things. Maybe one final note um, that uh, we also want to uh, wanted to, to to highlight in this paper is the fact that uh, because it's a multi-level model, uh, and I think we wanted to 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 make clear or to 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 highlight is that even though something can be negative. Um, for an individual, it can be positive at an organizational level and the other way around. So um, yeah, what I was saying about this uh, unethical behavior, um, yeah, being unethical is not so bad for the person who behaves unethically, but yeah, it's very bad for or at an organizational level. So I think there, um, there are many complex things going on. And if you really want to, to study uh, yeah, different outcomes of public service motivation at different levels, then this is something you, you, you have to consider and uh, to, yeah, yeah, to keep in mind. One other thing I wanted to make sure we do is, I, I don't know that we said Adrian Ritz's name, but we want to make sure we acknowledge your, your co-author, um, Adrian Ritz. And of course, um, go look up the article if this is a topic that's interesting to you. It's called The Dark Side of Public Service Motivation. Um, and it's in the, the new public or PMRA journal, uh, PPMG. <laughs> no, I'm forgetting the name of it as I'm trying to say it. <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much, um, Karina. This was a was a delight to get to talk with you. Uh, thanks, Nathan, um, and uh, thanks to all of you who watched us live. Um, we'll, as we mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, we should be having uh, the next episode live on March 30th at 3 p.m. with Professor Tina Nabachi. And any other updates we have in the short term will show up on the. PMRA Facebook page. Um, so thanks for following along today. And thanks again to uh, Nathan and Karina for being here. Thanks to both of you and everybody who listened. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs>